All right, we're good. Um, so we're going we're gonna, to uh, spend some time in the Word of God this morning, and then um, we're going to sing a song in between when we observe communion and uh, the end of the service. And so if in that time uh, you'd like to go get your kids who are saved and you'd like them to participate in the Lord's Supper, you certainly can do that, and I know that it would be a help to them. Um, just a few words on the idea of communion. Uh, we believe that communion is for believers, and so uh, we don't believe here at our church or that the Bible teaches that Communion is what saves us or what adds any particular grace to our lives. Uh, We just simply observe it as a command from Christ, understanding um, his desire for us to remember the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And so as you came in, you probably saw a basket back there uh, in between the two uh, rows of chairs, and uh, there's just little cups with uh, some juice and a wafer on top. If you didn't grab one of those, you can do so uh, as we sing a song in a little bit here. And uh, as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. I pray that we would do what Paul says, that we would examine ourselves, uh, to take an honest look at our lives, to see if we're in tune and in line with what the Word of God teaches and how God would desire us to live. If you have questions about communion, I certainly would be happy to answer those after the service today. Um, But we would ask, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, that you abstain from uh, partaking of the elements this morning, uh, simply because it, it, it... has no value to you apart from Christ. Uh, This is for believers, and uh, we we believe that's what the Bible teaches. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be. We are stepping out of our series in Mark this morning. Um, I I felt compelled to do this as I thought about the Lord's Supper. Uh, The passage that we were in in Mark is a really good passage, um, and I'm excited to preach it, but there was something about this passage in Hebrews 12 that um, God just laid it upon my heart, and I do pray this morning that it would be a help to, uh, to us as we receive it today. And the title of our time together is simply this, The Cross of Christ. Let's read the passage this morning, and then we'll have a word of prayer. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. God, we ask this morning that as we come to your word, that you would do as you always do, use it to draw us closer to yourself and make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would have sensitive spirits, that we would have ears that are ready to hear and eyes that are open to see this morning exactly what it is that you would have us to glean from this text. And God, I pray that we would be submissive as your spirit works in our lives. God, I pray that we would, we would be surrendered to follow through in the way that he leads us, regardless of what the perceived cost is. And that in all of this, God, we would fix our eyes upon the one who died for us, whose name is Jesus. God, we thank you for the truth of the cross. We thank you that the cross is empty because we believe Jesus, though he did die, he did rise again after he was buried on the third day. And as he rose again, God, he sealed the hope of all those who would come to him by faith. 
God, I pray this morning that our hearts would be overwhelmed with the truth of your love as we look at this text. And that in response, God, we would leave this place with a greater desire to serve you more fully. Be with Children's Church downstairs. God, I pray that you be with the nursery and the nursery workers downstairs. May these kids at an early age already begin to understand and perceive the depth of your love for them. God, we pray that you'd bring salvation to their lives so they could understand the joy that we have in Christ. We thank you again for this time that we can gather. May you use it for our good and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated this morning. Today we will spend our time looking at Christ, the cross he died on, the truth that the cross proclaims, and our obligation to press on in the power of the cross until Christ calls us home. I appreciate the songs that we sang today because each of them focuses on Christ and his cross from a different angle and perspective. And we should probably begin today by just simply stating this fact that I hope we all agree on, and that fact is this, that without the cross of Christ, we would be hopeless. Do you believe that today? That if it wasn't for Christ and what he did on our behalf as he died in our place, taking our sins upon himself so that we could be reconciled back to the Father, we would have no hope in this world. For believers, the empty cross speaks very loudly. It proclaims that an eternal work was done and that from that work, all who look to the finished work of the cross by faith will find true and lasting hope in this life and in the life to come. As we've seen through our time in Mark, Christ emphasized the idea of him going to the cross over and over again. And his desire was that the disciples would understand the significance of the cross and that they would give themselves completely to Christ to follow him and serve him for the remainder of their days on this earth. For many living in that day, the cross would have been a symbol of death, and rightfully so. The cross was a form of torture for the worst of the worst. Crimes like murder, extreme theft, treason, slave rebellion, and religious transgression were a few of the reasons that people would go to the cross and die. And it wasn't just the cross that was punishment, but it was everything leading up to and surrounding the cross. The shame, the beatings, the verbal assaults, the disdain from onlookers, each of these things would have added an element of pain to this already horrible experience. And while this form of capital punishment was indeed acceptable for those who had egregiously broken the law. This is also the very place that we find the perfect and sinless Son of God died in our place. I wonder, does it ever blow your mind as you think about the eternal plan of God? Do you ever stop and meditate on the reality that Christ died for our sins so that we could be legally and eternally reconciled back to a holy and just God? Does it ever give you pause as you think about the nature in which he died? Suffering shame, suffering physical abuse, suffering an intense pain of rejection and separation from his father? You see, the cross is a beautiful picture of justice and mercy colliding together to bring life. Dave Harvey says this about the idea of the cross. At the center of the glorious gospel stands the cross, the place where God satisfied justice in a remarkably merciful way. God did not wink at our sin or find a technicality so he could press for exoneration. No, the wages of sin is death. Because God's holiness and perfection, he could not bend the law nor spring us from the demands of justice. 
God's law must be upheld. Justice must be satisfied. Blood must be shed. Death must come. A truly a holy and just God was obligated to address the evil of sin. And how did he do this? By sending his only begotten son to die in our place. What a love. What a cost. What a glorious salvation that God has provided through us, for us, through his beloved son. And we stand forgiven at the cross. The big idea this morning is this. The cross of Christ stands as a symbol of hope for all who look to it by faith. For all who are in Christ, the cross serves as a reminder of where our allegiance should be. This is why Paul says that he chose to glory in the cross. For the cross changed his life. It gave him reason to live and it was the core of all that he preached. So this morning I want to see three things from this text concerning Christ. Those who have gone on before us and ourselves. I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged and strengthened today as we consider the cross of Jesus. The first thing is in verse number two, and it's simply this. Christ endured the cross joyfully. Christ endured the cross joyfully. Verse number two again says this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The book of Hebrews is all about a new and better way of coming to God. Christ is the the one who unlocked the door of this new way. And in fact, in the Gospels, he proclaims himself as that very door. In John 10, 9, the Bible says this, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The promise that Christ gives in John chapter 10 is one that we can have great confidence in. That if we come to Jesus by faith, if we look to the cross as as a place where Jesus suffered and died, not for wrongs that he had done, but for wrongs that we have done, if we look to the cross as a place where we can be legally and eternally reconciled back to a holy and just God, friends, in that cross we will find hope. And I pray this morning that you have looked to the cross in that way. That as you think about yourself, you understand the truth that you are indeed a sinner who deserves damnation to be separated from God forever. But God in his mercy and grace provided a way for you and I to be forgiven. And this is only possible through death. And God saw fit to send his son to die so that we could be reconciled. We know the scene of the cross was gruesome. We, we know the practice of Roman crucifixion was brutal. We know the Romans had perfected this process to make it as painful as possible while also keeping the person alive as long as possible. And we know that Christ did not deserve to be there. But we also know this, that it was a part of the plan of God before the world was ever created. Christ, being God in the flesh, did not have this plan sprung on him during a conversation in glory, but rather he had been a part of this plan and a part of this conversation for as as long as it had been a plan. He knew what his purpose was in coming to earth, and it was more than to simply be a good and moral example for others to follow. He knew that he would live in perfection and serve with compassion and teach with enthusiasm. And then he, would see, he knew that all of this would culminate with him walking the long road to the cross where he would be crucified. 
We understand that in the garden, Christ went to the Father as one who was in great agony, pleading with this cup to pass from him. But we also know that Christ, being God in the flesh, submitted himself to death on the cross, recognizing that this was indeed the only way. And the writer of Hebrews tells us here that he did so with joy in his heart as he pictured the pleasure of the Father and the bountiful harvest of souls that would be reconciled to the Father because of this incredible work. And as Christ looked at the cross, certainly in verse number 2, the author says that he endured the cross and he despised the shame, but he looked on the cross with great great joy in his heart because he knew what the outcome was going to be, that the Father would be pleased and that many souls would be reconciled back to him. So the cross is a difficult thing for us to comprehend because certainly it is is the most tragic picture or scene that the world has ever seen, that God died. But it's also the most beautiful scene that the world has ever seen. Because God God died for us so that we could be forgiven. And friend, I pray today that if you're here and you do not know Christ, that today would be the day of your salvation. That you would understand what Callie and Charlotte and many others in this room have understood, that, that they had no hope apart from Christ, but in Christ they found life and freedom and hope, not just for now, but for all of eternity. And to understand that Christ looked on the cross with joy in some respects as he thought about those who would be reconciled to the Father. Friend, may we take that joy as an invitation to come to him, knowing that if we come with a heart of repentance, he will in no wise cast us out. So the first thing we see this morning is is that Christ endured the cross joyfully. And so as we think on the cross, we do think of it or on it with sorrow, for it was the worst scene that had ever taken place in our world. We do look at it with an uncomfortableness because it was us who deserved to be suspended between heaven and earth. But we also look at it with, with joy as Christ did because we know that this is the only chance of hope that we have in this life and in the life to come. And friend, if you're thinking that you're going to take your chances and stand before a holy and just God based on your merits, then the Bible would say, not my opinion, not my idea, but the Bible would say that you will spend eternity separated from God. For there is only one way to be reconciled to the Father. And it is through the perfect sacrifice of the Son, Jesus Christ. So as Christ looked at the cross, there was a joy in his heart and in his mind because he understood what was waiting on the other side of that cross. He knew the pain and the agony and the immense suffering of the cross would lead to great great peace and satisfaction and joy as he made it to the other side. Everything leading up to the crucifixion and then hanging on the cross was indeed a horrible experience that would have been hard to grapple with. But the thing that gave Christ joy is in reality the very thing that still gives us joy because he saw his sacrifice as being a door of hope for the hopeless and we see his sacrifice as the only hope. He saw his sacrifice as legal payment for a debt that was owed by others and we see his sacrifice as paying our debt. 
He saw his sacrifice as appeasing the wrath of a just God. And we see his sacrificing his sacrifice as appeasing the wrath that we deserve. It was not joyful in the sense that it was fun, but it was joyful in the sense that it accomplished what could have never been accomplished in any other way. And so Christ looks on the cross with joy. And friend, I would ask us today, how do we look on the cross? As we come today to observe the Lord's Supper and following the command of Christ, we often look at the cross with a somber heart, with a a saddened mind. And, And I believe that we should come to the cross, come to the Lord's Supper in that way. I don't know about you, but there's also something within me that there's a great rejoicing that's happening on the inside as well. As I take that cup and as I take that bread, and I remember that without Christ, I would have no hope. But because of Christ, I do have hope. And it's not a hope that is fleeting. It's not a hope that's here for today and gone for tomorrow. It's not a hope that is going to shift and change. It's a hope that is eternal. It's a hope that is firm. It's a hope that is lasting. And this hope is only possible because of the completed work of Christ on the cross. And so what does the writer of Hebrews say? He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus was not an ordinary man. He was not simply a good teacher or a friend to those who had no friends. But he was very God of very gods who died in our place so that we can be forgiven. And if you're here today and you're thinking, well, I'm not that bad of a person, friend. If it took God to die to forgive you, then maybe you have a misunderstanding of how grievous your sins are in the sight of a holy and just God. If it took God to die, then without God dying, we would be hopeless. But he did die, and so therefore we have hope. Steve Lawson says this, The power of the cross is greater than the penalty of sin. The power of grace is greater than the curse of the law. And the power of the resurrection is greater than the strength of death. And that's exactly what Paul says in the passage that Evan read this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Death and the, and the sting of death have been swallowed up by the victory of Christ. And because of what Christ did, we have hope. We must understand that as our Savior looked to the cross, Though he did endure its pain, though he did bear the immense weight, he also looked at the cross with great joy in his heart because of what he knew it would accomplish. And friend, what does that say of the Savior's Savior's view of you and I? Doesn't it speak to his love for us? That if he looked at the cross with disdain as he fought his way to do what God wanted him to do, then we could almost say that he would harbor some resentment in his heart towards us because he didn't want to be there in the first place. But as we think of a Savior who went willingly, and as that Savior looks around the world and sees the bountiful harvest of souls that have been redeemed, we understand there was great joy in his heart as he died in our place. And so firstly this morning, Christ endured the cross joyfully. Secondly, this morning, the saints carried the cross patiently. In verse number 1, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, Wherefore, seeing 
we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run the race with patience. I'm sorry, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There's debate over who wrote the book of Hebrews. Many believe it was the Apostle Paul. The reality, it doesn't really matter who wrote the book because we understand that God has preserved it for us and ultimately he is the author of it. And so as we read Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, we understand that this is an ordained verse that God would have us to understand and believe and live and see and apply to our lives as we think about living for Christ. The saints carried the cross patiently. If you think through our time in the Gospel of Mark, time and time again, Jesus had told the disciples, and we'll see it again next week, that he was going to go and that he was going to be delivered and that he was going to die. And then on the third day, he was going to rise again. And then interspersed in between those conversations, Christ was telling the disciples constantly about this idea of picking up their own cross, of carrying their own cross, of being a committed follower, of being a committed disciple to Jesus Christ and to the cause of the cross. And as we see in Hebrews, that desire of God is put forth once again in these words as it is relayed to us the mentality of those who have gone before us about this idea of the cross. Many in today's world like to talk about the woes of broader Christendom, and certainly there are many. Unfortunately, many have failed morally. Many have misused their opportunities for their own benefit, for their own pleasure. Many have wandered away in, in, in the latter years of their lives. But can we also acknowledge that there have been many who have passionately served our Savior and carried the cross until the end of their lives? There are many good examples, not just in Scripture, but also in history of men and women who were dedicated to this idea of living out faithfully the will of God for their lives at any cost. They put themselves in great harm. They put themselves in the way of danger so that the gospel could be made known. And that is exactly what is being described here. Hebrews 12, as numbers work, comes right after Hebrews 11, right? That's pretty simple stuff to understand. And what is Hebrews 11 all about? Well, we would often call Hebrews 11 the hall of faith. Snapshot verses of Lives of men and women who gave their all to see the message of the cross be moved forward one step at a time. Now, were these people perfect? Absolutely not. And you know what? That gives us hope because I, as I look around the room and as I look in the mirror every day, you know what I see? People that aren't perfect. But you know what's amazing? Were you saying amen about me or you? Everybody, Everybody okay. <laughs> You know what's amazing? Is that God can use imperfect people who have been forgiven to preach the most glorious message that the world has ever heard. God can use imperfect people who have shortcomings and failings and and proclivities that draw them away from Christ to preach a message that to the world is foolishness But to those of us who believe, it is indeed the very power of God 
for salvation. And so as the writer of Hebrews begins chapter 12, we see that he outlines for us this idea that there are many great heroes of the faith who have gone before us. And the reason that they are classified as great heroes of the faith is because they laid aside every weight and the sin that did beset them. And they took up their cross daily and they followed Christ passionately. I love the honesty in verse number 12 that they had to lay aside some sins. Friends, if we're ever going to accomplish anything for the cause of Christ, then we must get serious about the sin that is in our lives. We like to overlook it. We like to glance past it. We like to say that it's no big deal or that's just who I am. And while some of that may be true, we may be born with a proneness to certain sins we must recognize that it doesn't excuse us to live in those sins. If God has freed us from the penalty of sin, can we also agree that God has freed us from the power of sin? That we don't have to be held captive by those things? That we don't have to willingly give ourselves to the things that Jesus Christ died for on the cross? But he goes on to say that it wasn't just sin that they set aside. But what else was it? It was the weights. Now, I like this idea because I don't like working out. I'm just going to lay aside the weights and just give me the turkey and the stuffing, mostly the stuffing, and I'll be okay. But what is the weight that he's talking about? Anybody ever feel distracted in life from staying on mission to the calling that God has placed on your life? We all feel distracted. Sometimes we don't like to label it as being distracted from actually living out God's mission for our lives. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, probably a million times. How you doing? Oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. But what are we busy doing? Could it be true that There may need to be some things in our lives that we set aside that are not necessarily sinful things, but they're keeping us from the best of things. Could it be that that as husbands and fathers and moms and wives, that we need to intentionally prioritize our lives so that when our kids look at us, they see people who are dedicated to the cause of Christ above everything else? that when they see us fill out our schedules and our calendars, that we're not making room for church, but church is a priority, that God is a priority, and that everything else falls in place around those things. Should it be that when the, the world looks at us who have claimed the name of Christ, that we could, they could see that there is one priority, and that it's serving Christ? You say, well, what about my family? What about my job? Can I assure you of something today? That if you make Christ the priority, then you will also be a good father and a good husband and a good employee. When Christ is first, everything else comes naturally. And that's what took place in Hebrews chapter 12. And they carried the cross patiently. As we think of Christ carrying his cross, we understand that it was indeed a physically intense exercise that drained his body. We understand the beatings that surrounded the cross made him unrecognizable, not just as Jesus, but as a human being. 
We understand that as he, as he hung suspended between heaven and earth as a spectacle for all to look on, the words that came from the mouths of those who were watching this scene unfold would have made him feel like even less of a man. And yet Christ bared that cross patiently. And I would say that what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that there was also many men and women who followed in the footsteps of Christ who also carried their cross patiently. Think of these people in the Bible, Daniel and David and Esther, Ruth, Mary, Anna, Simeon, the disciples and apostles, Luke, Paul, Stephen, Timothy, Aquila and Priscilla, Mary and Martha, Eunice and Lois, and the list could go on and on of people who said, we are going to prioritize living the gospel. We're going to prioritize making sure that our lives line up with the word of God. These people did not bow to the whims of society. They did step up and do what was right. They did move forward. They didn't back down. They didn't capitulate. They didn't run and hide. And we have many wonderful examples in the word of God of people who took their Christian lives seriously. But, but let's not just stick with history. I'm, I'm sorry, with the Bible. Because we also have men and women outside of the Bible in history who also did this very thing. We could think of David Livingston and Charles Spurgeon and Hudson Taylor and Jim and Elizabeth Elliot and John Patton and D.L. Moody and Martin Luther. These all put their lives and their reputations on the line for the sake of the gospel as they carried the cross. And then we could think of many of our own missionaries. Karen Hall, who was just here. Buna and T. Haas. And Ken and Denise Baker. Robert Mickey, the Cunninghams, the Campbells, the Whites, who have all said, come what may, we're committed to the message of the cross. Though it may cost us everything in the eyes of men, we're committed to the message of the cross and we're willing to bear that cross patiently because we understand, as Christ understood, that on the other side, there is great joy for those who have given themselves to this endeavor to make the message of the cross known. All of these who we've mentioned from the Bible to our missionaries that we support have faced trials and afflictions. And yet they said time and time again, we will press on. When hardships have come into their lives, they buckled down and clung to what they believed. They laid aside their distractions and pursued Christ with a greater zeal. And in it all, they carried the cross with patience. And as we think of following Christ and as we think of carrying the cross, remember, this is not some bright idea that they had in and of themselves. But this is the call of Christ to every Christian that we would pick up our cross daily and follow him. We've all had times in our lives where we're not satisfied with where we're at in life, where we wish things were different, where we wish things had gone a different way. But can I ask you this morning, as you bear the cross of Christ and the trials that you face in this earth, are you bearing it with patience? You say, well, my situation's not ideal. Well, I would say that Christ's situation wasn't very ideal either. 
You say, it's not much fun to deal with the things that I have to deal with. And I would say it probably wasn't much fun for Christ to deal with the things that he had to deal with either. You say, it's hard. People don't understand. People mock me. People think I'm a fool. You think they thought Christ was a fool? Most definitely. You think they thought the heroes of the faith were a fool? Most definitely. Do you think... The world looks at people who have dedicated themselves to go to another part of the world to preach the gospel, oftentimes with very little given to them in return. Do you think the world looks at them as a fool? Absolutely, 100%. And so I would say, friend, if the world looks at us as being foolish, then we are in good company and we have reason to rejoice. Then we have reason to bear our cross patiently. These whom we've talked about today have marched forward with passion, putting Christ above all. Certainly they still sinned, and they had times where they wandered off course, but it seems that they also eventually always made it back to center once again as they lifted up the banner of the cross. You see, Christ was their passion, the gospel was their hope, and the cross was their glory. This is why Paul says in Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. This is why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself me. And Paul, along with many others, lived with the cross as the theme of their lives because they believed that the cross was the only message of hope for a world who was far from God. And they carried that cross patiently. So friends, I would ask us today, are we bearing the cross of Christ? Most likely we won't be crucified, be suspended between heaven and earth for all to see. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. But the question we must ask is this, does the world see my life as crucified for the purposes of Christ? Does the world see me as one who has given up everything, one who has laid aside sin and weights so that I could run with patience the race that is set before me. And I love this illustration that he uses because we often want to run somebody else's race. If I just had their trial, my life would be a whole lot easier. They think that's hard. Let them walk a mile in my shoes. Friends, God has given you your life and he's given me my life and he's called both of us to worship and glorify and serve Christ in the life that he has given us. And I would ask us this morning, are we doing so with patience? The final thing in verse number three is that we must cling to the cross emphatically. It says this, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Understand what the author of Hebrews is doing here is really what the whole Bible does. It's calling us to take our eyes off of ourselves and look to someone who is greater. And who is the greater? Well, it's what Hebrews is all about. The greater is Jesus. He says, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. 
Why? Why should we consider Him? Why should we think about Him? Why should we meditate on Him? Lest we be wearied and faint in our minds. What's the writer saying? That we're often distracted by our trials and our difficulties and our hardships. And in those moments, it's best not to focus internally, but to focus eternally. Don't look at yourself and say, man, my life is really hard. But look to the eternal work of Christ and see what he has done for us. Now, does that say that that God is minimizing or downplaying the trials that we face? 100% not. God sees us in our trials and he walks with us in those trials. But how does he want to ensure that we walk with him? Well, he calls us to look to him. He calls us to consider him. He calls us to think on Him, to dwell on Him, to meditate on Him, to rest in Him, to to give ourselves to Him, even when we don't feel like it. And Jesus, as as He went to the cross, He did so with, with great joy in His heart. And those who have gone before us, as they served Christ, they carried the cross patiently. And now we are being called to cling to the cross emphatically, that above all else, we will cling to the cross and the cross alone because it's the cross that makes a difference. I love the song that we sing that asks this question of one of the catechisms, and the, the question is simply this What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Yesterday afternoon, we, we went to a, a funeral for Jennifer Anair's father. And do you know what I appreciated about that funeral so much? It was the emphasis on the reality that her dad didn't die wondering or guessing or hoping or thinking. He died in confidence knowing that his last breath on earth would lead to his first breath in the presence of the Savior. What is his hope in life and death? Christ alone. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. And if Christ is our only hope, then who is it and what is it that we should cling to? None other than Christ and the cross that he died on. You see, Paul tells us that the preaching of the cross to those who are dying is indeed foolishness. But to those of us who have believed, the message of the cross is the power of God to salvation. It is life now and life eternally. And I guarantee there are some in the room today who at the first time you heard the preaching of the cross, you said, that is a bunch of baloney. And yet as the Spirit of God continued to work in your heart, You saw the preaching of the cross as a glorious and hopeful truth. And when you gave yourselves to it, when you submitted to it, when you repented of your sins and turned to Christ alone, you see the cross now as the greatest wisdom that has ever been given. And so we cling to the cross emphatically. What are you known for? What am I known for? What is my family known for? If I'm talked about in a hundred years, what will they speak of? We must cling to the cross emphatically. So this morning, let us cling to Christ and His cross. And let us allow it to be a means of propulsion as we continue to make His great name known? What is it that will 
lift our heads in times of worry and fear and defeat and anxiousness and trouble and burden and lamenting and sorrow. What is it? It's none other than the message of the cross of Christ, that we were dead, but now we are alive, that we were chained and imprisoned, but now we are free, that we were enemies, but now we are sons and daughters, that we were lost, but now we are found, that we were guilty, but now we're forgiven, that we were hopeless, but now we have hope. And you see, the cross does not just have future or eternal benefits, but it has present and daily benefits as well. And this is why we preach the message of Christ on the cross as a hope to a dying world. Because it's the only message that can transform them. John Piper says this, Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross, cherish it for the treasure that it is, and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolish foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. In the cross, Jesus would argue that we find hope and identity and meaning and value and purpose and life. And isn't that the very things that the world is searching for in so many things? And Jesus says all of these things can be found in one thing as you cling to the cross emphatically. And while this is the message to a lost and dying world, friend, I would say that this is also a message to the redeemed. That we find all of these things as we look to the cross once again. The old saying is we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. And why is that? Because if we don't preach the gospel daily, we begin to believe that we are where we are spiritually and physically because of who we are and what we have done. But when we preach the gospel to ourselves daily, what does it remind us? That we had no hope in ourselves until God stepped in and then everything changed. And so we say hallelujah for the cross. Though we look at it with mourning in our hearts and with an uncomfortableness in our minds, we also look at it with great joy because we understand that it is our only hope. And if it was our only hope of salvation... We must understand that it is our only hope to press forward in this life in a Christ-like way as we think about what He has done for us. The song we're going to sing in just a minute is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The closing line of that song says this, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And church, I would ask us today, are we clinging to the cross emphatically? In our times of despair, are we looking again to what Christ has done for us? Are we dwelling on the cross of Christ to to align and oftentimes realign our lives so that we can live in a way that brings glory to His name? In our times of fear and, and doubt, do we look to the cross as a source of hope Remembering that the one who died is the one who lives. And if he lives, he goes with us wherever we go. I wonder, are we living the message of the cross? Or in our own lives, has the source of hope begun to shift to something else? I pray today that we would realign our lives. That we would cling to the cross emphatically. That we would follow after Christ passionately. 
so that we can have great confidence in this life, so that the world can understand there is only one way to Jesus, and it's through believing in what he has done for us. That they would see that it's not we who make the difference, but it's that Christ has made the difference. And where is the the beautiful message of the cross seen so simply? In a verse that we all at least have at least heard in our lives, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, friend, the cross is the clearest revelation of the love of God for humanity. And so I would submit this morning that it's our duty as believers to, cr- to cling to the cross emphatically because it's the very thing that has changed our lives. And if it hasn't changed your life, as we sing a song in just a minute, I'm going to make my way to the back of the church, and if you have questions about how the cross and the Christ on the cross can change your life, I'd encourage you to meet me in the back so that we can show you through the Word of God how you can be saved. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Again, has the cross changed you this morning? Have you recognized that what Christ did on the cross was not because of what He had done wrong, but He died as a ransom, as a payment, as a substitute for us so that we could be redeemed and reconciled and forgiven. If you're walking through your own efforts here today, friend, understand, you are far from God. And while that may seem hopeless, there is hope because Christ has opened the door for you to draw close to God through the finished work of Christ. Will you come to Him today? And then brothers and sisters, those of us who are saved, if the cross has made a difference, then the cross still should be making a difference. If the cross has made a difference, you recognize that you are forgiven and redeemed because of what Christ has done for you, then the cross should still be making a difference as we live for Him in this broken world. Are we living under the power of the cross? Is it shaping us? Is it a driving force in our lives? Or have we begun to veer off course and set our affections on lesser things? As we sing this song, when I survey the wondrous cross, I pray that we would use it to prepare our hearts for the time that we will have in just a moment where we observe the Lord's Supper. But I also pray today, if you have never trusted Christ, that God would use it in your life to draw you to this place where you are ready to believe that your only hope is Christ and Christ alone. As Dave and Gina come and as we sing this song, church, may we think on these things. May we allow God to use them to shape us into the image of Christ. And as we partake in the Lord's Supper, may it be done to glorify his name. God, we thank you. We pray now that you would work in our hearts this morning as we think through the cross. We thank you, God, that Christ went to the cross with with a joy in his heart, knowing what was on the other side. And I pray 
God, that we would have great joy in our hearts because of what the cross represents today. Oh God, if there's any here today who have never trusted Christ, we pray that this would be the day of their salvation. They come to you by faith. God, give them boldness, give them courage to come and speak with me. Help them to know that, that nobody will look down on them. Nobody will do anything but rejoice with them as they give their lives to you. We thank you for the message of the cross. May it shape our lives for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.